University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. The great Alexander Dumas uh, wrote, All generalizations are dangerous, even this one. Dumas, of course, is that famous literary author of the books like The Three Musketeers, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Man in the Iron Mask. This is a clever saying. Uh, It's quite hilariously revealing about how we live in a world that generalizes just about everything, and we tend to generalize about others, uh, especially those that we don't see eye to eye with, that don't meet our expectation and desires. All generalizations are dangerous, even this one. This is classified as an apothem. We're in this apothem series looking at the power of short phrases. It's also a word that's really complicated because it doesn't exactly sound the way that you might spell it, Um, but it's a unique word. It comes from a Greek word, apothemome, which means something clearly spoken or declared. That's a hard word if you said it three times fast. So we're looking at how that sometimes terse and instructive remarks can cause us to pause and to rethink things. And we're looking specifically at eight phrases in this series that will change everything within us. Last week we looked at the power of the word yes. For this week we take a look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Now, sometimes this powerful saying, even the shortest ones, can, can make an impact. So take, for example, this week's phrase, no. Uttered in response to the right request at the right time could have disastrous results, and yet no uttered in response to the wrong request at the wrong time can have equally disastrous results. So for the power of discerning no in our lives, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. So what Jesus is experiencing in the desert was a spiritual tour de force. He's on this spiritual pilgrimage to prepare himself for his public ministry, which actually will begin in his hometown of Nazareth. And he chose for his spiritual pilgrimage a 40-day period of fasting, praying, and solitude in the desert. And this wasn't uncommon in Jesus' day, but there was only a select few who chose to take this path of piety. And you can imagine what it'd be like to have very little food and water over a 40-day period as you depend on your connection to God through prayer. And yet we need to remember that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. Jesus felt the experiences that we feel and experience. This is why the incarnation of God seen through Jesus is such a brilliantly impactful moment in human history. While the Gospels show us the power of God through Jesus— in moments where he's healing the sick or casting out demons or resurrecting people from the dead, we also see Jesus navigating the very real human experience of pain and emotions and story 
And so here in the story, he's experiencing hunger and thirst and exhaustion. And, and this is when things get to be really tough because the Bible says that this character named the devil shows up. The Greek word here is diabolos, which is translated the word devil. It, it literally means slanderer or false accuser or unjustly criticizing to hurt. A quick side note, the figure of Satan or Hasatan is a new theological development around the time of Jesus. This came from the Hebrew people's time in the Babylonian and Persian captivity, a shift in their understanding of this dualistic theological understanding of the world. This is why we see in the second creation narrative the showing up of this tempter in this story. Think less of a guy running around in a red leotard and a pencil-thin mustache and more of the presence of a figure of an alternative worldview of Jesus' purpose and mission. And so this devil begins with a simple question. If your daddy is really God, then why not fill your empty belly by turning these stones into bread? It's a reasonable question because didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And every day you and I are faced with people and circumstances that present reasonable questions that demand a reasonable yes from us. And most of us have a proclivity or inclination to say yes when asked uh, for something from some people we know and trust because at our core as humanity is a deep need to, to fit in, to belong. Most of us are driven to say yes because we don't want to disappoint people. We, we want to be liked. We, we want to know that we've led a future that helps leverage favors from other people. And sometimes we say yes because we don't want other people to hear about us saying no and be viewed as a person that doesn't want to help other people. In fact, our bodies are actually geared towards saying yes. Even when it's not in our best interest, your brain has a chemical hormone called oxytocin, and it's released in our brain when we make other people happy. It makes us feel loved and connected and safe. Often we say yes because we have a fear of missing out, whether it be missing out on what others are doing, the experience that others might have, or the financial perks of participating. Sometimes we say yes out of fear of being left behind while others progress forward in experience and relationships and so on. Sometimes we say yes because we truly believe that we should do unto others as they would have do to us. And so saying yes sometimes feels like if we don't, we fail to recognize the circumstances that we might also find ourselves in when we need other people's help. Even when we say yes, no, the guilt and disappointment can often set in. We don't want others to be angry or bitter towards us. Sometimes we change our no into a yes as a result. And some of us say yes because we are just the caregiver types that like to help put out fires in people's lives and are all too willing to serve. In North Carolina, I had a buddy. Uh, it was one of these people that just, he forgot about everything because he was one of these people that was just into too many things. And he agreed to watch one of his neighbor's animals um, while he was out of town. And the neighbor warned him that the dog was super aggressive, needing to be walked multiple times a day. And if not, it got really restless in the house. The cat, on the other hand, should be completely content. And we were hanging out when the friend got a phone call from his neighbor, checking in to see how things had been going on with the pets. 
And that's when it dawned on him that he had completely forgot about taking care of this guy's animals and had not been to the weekend uh, over to his house for the entire weekend. And so he left and quickly ran over to the house to discover the worst possible circumstances. There was animal waste everywhere. The trash was strewed all over the kitchen. And apparently the dog had gotten so aggressively restless that it had killed the cat. When you can't get your life in order, maybe you need to say no when your neighbor asks you to look after temperamental pets. You see, we say yes to people because we want to do the right thing. But what if yes is not the best for us nor for them? This example from a story in my life is rare. However, every day you and I face people at work and home and school within social circles and in the community that ask something from us for any number of reasons or circumstances. And sometimes there is a dire impact on our lives in saying yes when we really mean no. And while we say yes externally, internally we might battle stress and high blood pressure and guilt and shame. Often saying yes when we really mean no can lead to frustration, additional clutter in our schedule and our lives, unnecessarily rushing around to manage more than we can handle. You start to feel resentful, used, annoyed, and unappreciated. Sometimes saying yes to others is saying no to ourselves. We say yes for affirmation and acceptance and approval from others, but we don't realize that it undermines our self-worth, our values, our goals, and our journey. So yeah, we can connect to Jesus in the story. Look back at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Again, this is another reasonable question. It would make perfect sense for the Son of God to take on this whole Messiah thing like everyone would understand it to be, such as a great king of a great empire. I mean, look at King David and Solomon who led Israel during their golden years. What is being offered in this moment is a different approach to this Messiah thing, a transition away from doing it one way in order to do it another way. And all Jesus had to do was merely decide which way would work best for him. As one author put it, we live in a world designed to give us what we think and want. Now, yes, is all around us. You see, sometimes the hardest person to say no to is ourselves. It's not always another person who is demanding something of us, but equally often we are the ones that are presenting a new challenging narrative in our lives. We take a look at, at how things are going in our life and dream of something different. We see how hard-working for, for this thing and find an easier path that might get us what we want. We imagine how much better our lives would be if we had this new thing or these new people or were in this relationship or had this job or lived in that neighborhood or had our kids go to that school and so on and so on. Sometimes saying yes to ourselves is not the right answer. 
We say yes for what we think will put us in different circumstances, make us more satisfied, but do not realize that it undermines our self-worth, our values, our goals, and our journey. And this is because we often don't have clear values and goals and self-worth. We've spent our entire lives observing what others are doing, what others have, what others dream that are not actually taking place and formulating into who we are, where we are going, let alone what God sees in us and where God wants us to go. And sometimes we find ourselves so directionless in life that we take any path that has presented itself to us because it satisfies us in the moment to actually have some sort of direction. Years back, I was leading a mission trip um, of nearly 90 people to Brooklyn, New York. And earlier that year, I had taken a trip on my own to scout out where we would be going, the partnerships we would be serving, and I took notorious notes of a driving experience and where each vehicle needed to drive, both on the way there and once we got there. Except on the actual mission trip, when we had six other 15-passenger vehicles and storage trailers following me, the GPS started acting up. And instead of taking me through Staten Island, across the Verrazino Narrows Bridge, and straight into Brooklyn, the GPS wanted me to go north across the Bayonne Bridge, into Jersey City, and then into the Holland Tunnel, across Manhattan, to get into Brooklyn. And it was one of these moments where traffic was so heavy, you had to make a decision in the moment. I knew it wasn't the best route, but 90 other people were depending on me to make a decision, and I went with what the GPS said was best. And this GPS fiasco cost us four additional hours on the road because we got to the Holland Tunnel, who was not allowing vehicles that had storage trailers to go through the tunnel, which rerouted us further north to cross Manhattan on a Saturday. If I had stuck with the plan instead of letting the pressure of the moment and the demand of the GPS divert me, I wouldn't have had 90 angry people that spent four additional hours in cramped passenger vehicles than what they signed up for. Sometimes being directionless is a challenge. Look back at verse 8. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. No can be one of the most powerful sayings in our life. But as we've seen, it often can be difficult one to speak. So how do we know when no is the right answer? How do we discern the right answer? For this, we, we look closer at Jesus' example as a prime example. Each time the devil tempted Jesus with a a fantastical opportunity to say yes, Jesus reverted immediately to God through the written and spoken word. 
He quoted scripture, giving life and meaning to God's truth. And let's not forget his whole purpose in coming to the desert in the first place was to spend 40 days in prayer and fasting, honing into the Spirit of God for leadership and guidance and for faith. So how do you start to discern when no is the right answer? Well, turn to the Spirit of God in prayer and the Word. How often in our lives do we fail to recognize the abiding Spirit of God dwelling within us and around us? The work of the Spirit, as promised by Jesus in John chapter 14, is that the Spirit will be a great counselor that will remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us, giving us the peace when we face hardship. The Spirit is our inner compass that steers us uh, throughout the very core values that we try to shape and form in our life. Instead of, uh, pointing, instead of pointing us north, the Spirit guides us to make the best decisions in the most difficult of circumstances we are facing. And, and the fact that our Lord and Savior depended on the Spirit of God to guide him through one of the most peril temptations of his life should tell us something about our need to turn to the Spirit and prayer and the Word. As one person put it, half of the troubles of this life can be traced to saying yes too quickly and not saying no soon enough. Imagine how our decisions, the circumstances we face, might be different if we simply paused and consider what God might say, what God might have us do. As Paul put it to Titus when he wrote this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Soon after we started a church in, in North Carolina, I was offered a position at a local nonprofit that helped people experiencing homelessness. And I was tasked with helping raise funds and volunteers for the organization. And as I, I dove deeply into the work, generating uh, thousands of new dollars of revenue to support this, this mission, um, creating tangible opportunities for people to help invest volunteer hours, I began to notice that the family that ran the organization wasn't around a lot. And, and while I have been called a workaholic at times, this was different. I never saw the family in the office. I never saw them investing time in the clients. But they would always show their faces at fundraising initiatives as if they had been part of putting this all together. Then things got really serious when several of my paychecks bounced right after major fundraising events. And when the dust settled, what slowly figured out was that this nonprofit was committing payroll fraud. They were crediting hours to family employees that were not working and failing to pay those who were actually working. And I was faced with a really difficult decision to either keep saying yes to these circumstances or to say no and walk away from the organization. This is a vital part of discerning no when it's the right answer. As we go to God, the Spirit of God for leadership, we must also measure in that moment our core values. This is exactly what Jesus faced in the temptation. Jesus had a calling, a vision of what God wanted for him and through him. There is a reason that Jesus was born into the context of to a 14-year-old peasant girl in a manger 
under the threat of Herod. There is a reason that Jesus was raised in an obscure town, beginning his ministry in the down-and-out towns of Galilee. God chose not to put Jesus into a place of prominence, but a place of humility. Therefore, this temptation is a clear invitation to compromise, to pivot, to change all of this to make things easier. So what we see Jesus doing in this story is weighing the circumstances against what God has called him to in his life. And, and when he is invested in that time to actually stop and to breathe and to pray and to contemplate God's word, he knew that he needed to say no to this change. And when we're presented with circumstances in our life that demand a yes or a no, consider what's at stake in that moment and in that decision. Does a yes fit into the direction that God is leading me? Does yes compromise the way that Jesus is calling me to live my life? Does yes move me out of the values I hold sacred? Does yes move me to say yes to people who, who maybe are going to commit acts that go against my core values? And the challenge we face in the circumstances like this is when we do not have a clear core values or direction. And yet this gives us even more reason to, dispend, to depend on the Spirit of God to remind us of who we are, of who we have been called to be, and how that plays into how we live our lives each day. A few years back, we had a guy come to the church office asking for assistance for a few things. He had come a few times on Sunday mornings to worship, so it seemed like he was um, more interested in, than just a handout. And we sat down in my office and, and, and talked about his health situation, the challenges he was facing, uh, his estranged family, and what he needed most at this time. And when you really narrowed it down, what he was asking for was $50 to pay the light bill, some groceries, and someone to take him to pick up his medication because he didn't have enough money for a bus fare. So we got into my car, we picked up some groceries, we swung by the pharmacy, we lined up a check for the power bill, and then we had lunch together. And the following Sunday at church, a member pulled me to the side and wanted to let me know that this guy had been asking for money, for a power bill, for groceries, and bus fare to go pick up his medication. And what we discovered was this guy had, in fact, hit up several church members after hitting up the church office and actually had been repeating this same stunt at several churches in the Baton Rouge area. See, the hardest part of saying no is the right answer is oftentimes uttering it to the person who's asking. And that's a difficult thing for us to face in the circumstances of today. When discerning a no is the right answer, it's important to know how to say it with grace and no regrets. No sets boundaries and self-respect for yourself and for others. It should elevate the respect that others have for us, and if it doesn't, then it clarifies the nature of our relationship with another person. As Brene Brown put it, we often don't set boundaries. We let people do things that are not okay, and then we're resentful. We tend to imagine that setting boundaries means being rude or pushy, but setting boundary doesn't mean you're being cold-hearted. You see, no is a form of liberation and freedom, giving you space to say yes to what is deeply meaningful to you. No can lend our time and focus 
away from what God is calling us to, even in relationships and projects and in chapters of our life. No can show us how God has already blessed us without needing to add more into our lives. It's hard to say no, especially when we've been a yes person in a relationship, whether that be at work or in friendships and community or at home. And even when we say no, the guilt and disappointment set in. We, we don't want to make other people angry. We don't want other people to be bitter towards us. People who aren't used to saying no or those that are used to hearing a yes might hear a no as, I hate you, I think your idea or offer is stupid, or you're wasting your time. But that's not what no means. However, there are some ways to say no that are empowering both to you and to others. Like, not at this time. That will not work for me. I'm honored you ask, but now's not a good time. I would love to do this, but no, I need more time to think about it before I can make a commitment. If someone truly loves and values you, then they will understand when you need to say no. And again, sometimes we have to say no to ourselves. That little voice inside us that pushes us always to gain more, to do more, to become more, to have more of this. And there's power in the moment of saying no to ourselves. Paul writes to Titus again, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present. So like Jesus, may we turn to the Spirit of God for guidance as we face decisions and challenges each day within relationships and within ourselves to know the right answer. May the Spirit of God reveal to us how our decision fits into God's purpose for our life and the values instilled with us through the teachings of Jesus. And may we turn to wonder at the impact a simple word can have. No.